Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Hi, I'm Ryan Weaver, and this is my wife, Kate. Our scripture reading is from Acts 2, 1 through 8, and 14 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a, like a the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. I'm curious if you've ever had this room in your house. In the home in which I grew up in, there was this one room that was kind of removed from the rest of the house. And we really didn't use it all that much. It was kind of used for storage, kind of an office. My parents used it for, for hiding our Christmas gifts every year. And the door to this room was always shut when guests come over. We lovingly called this room the junk room. Maybe you've had a room like that. Now this room was a part of the house as much as any other, but it wasn't a part of our life. We knew it was there, but we really didn't know what to do with it. Tragically, in my opinion, I I think that um, the most tragic aspect of many people's life with God is that the Holy Spirit is much like that room. Like we know it's there, we know it's a part of our, uh, uh, of our church tradition, we know it's a part of the Trinity, but it's not a part of our shared life. We know it's there, we see it in our scripture, but we just don't know what to do with it. As we will read in the book of Acts, Acts is going to tell us a different story. Many people have even titled the book of Acts the acts of the Holy Spirit, because as we read this story, what we see is that the Holy Spirit's power is displayed and it is birthing a church. So what I hope this message does today, I hope that it persuades you. I hope it persuades you to reconsider the power and the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life and then our life together as a church. So Acts 2 begins on a day that was called Pentecost. 
Pentecost means 50. This is this day was 50 days after celebrating Passover. Um, on this day, Jerusalem would have been crowded. Not only was it crowded through the residents who always lived there, but people of different nations were would pilgrimage to Jerusalem to be there on the day of Pentecost um, because it was a holy festival. There's two main reasons why people would celebrate Pentecost. One was it was when the wheat harvest came in. And so this was a day of joy, as a day of bounty as they celebrated the harvest coming in. The second reason why people would gather on this uh, day was it was a religious festival. Pentecost, again, is the day where people remember what happened many years ago, 50 days after the people were, uh, the, the Hebrew people were delivered from the hands of Pharaoh, 50 days after that, uh, they, they met with God and they received the Ten Commandments. And there they renewed their covenant with God. They, they made promises. They re- renewed their relationship with God. And so Pentecost has these two different themes uh, that we find. And these two themes are such a beautiful backdrop to the story we're going to hear today. Because those two themes are, it's a time of harvest and it's a time of relational renewal with God is what we're going to find in this passage. So in Acts 2, we find, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. If you remember from last week, some of Jesus's last words was instructions. Instructions telling the disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Spirit. Now, my guess is that these disciples would have preferred to scatter. They might have been ready to go back to their homes, especially after seeing the animosity that was given towards Jesus. It would have been risky for them to stay together and in Jerusalem around the same people that murdered Jesus. But God had different plans. God wanted them to wait in the midst of that tension, to stay there in that place where they would feel vulnerable. But it's because in that place of vulnerability, together, as they were waiting, that God would show up in power. And that's what happened. So while they were waiting, in verse 2 we find, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there's a lot going on in these few verses, but first, let's just talk about tongues. (laughs) The actual word for tongue could also be translated as language. So when the Holy Spirit came, it wasn't just that these people started, uh, were blabbering in an incoherent language. Instead, they had like this Rosetta Stone download where they were miraculously fluent in many languages, that each person were speaking a different language that they didn't know beforehand. And remember, with this festival going on, people were coming in from all over their known world. It was truly an international event. So verse 5 continues. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they had heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? 
How then is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? It's almost like a backhanded compliment because Galileans were not seen as respected people, learned people. They were seen as second class, common folk, the rednecks of Israel. And here they are fluent in many languages. So that the crowd continued by saying, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now this is small, but like it's so important to notice that what was the message that the Holy Spirit wanted to communicate? Like if, if they were going to be given tongues to say anything, what would God want them to say? In verse 11, it says that we, the people said, we heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own language, in our own tongues. This is what God wanted the world to hear, is in their own language, God coming to them where they were in their culture to hear the wonders of God, the power of God, the miraculous work that God was doing. This is, this is what God wants. This is what the Holy Spirit wanted to communicate. And these disciples were able to do that. Verse 13 says, Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. And I love Peter's rebuttal. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I think it's funny that Peter, he, shared, he doesn't like push back. His rebuttal is not like, oh, no, we, we're not like that. Instead, he says, it's too early for that. We have standards. Unlike some of you I know in quarantine. That's a different story, though. But what is happening here is amazing. Now, remember Jesus' final words in Acts 1 that he says to these disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's happening right here from the beginning. The Holy Spirit came, empowered them to do their role, which was to bear witness in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. This is, this is so good for us to see that God never calls us to do something or challenges us to do something without his sustaining work and his power so that we could be faithful. We are never commissioned out on our own. We are always invited to partner with God to fulfill God's purposes and plans in this world. If you were to look at what's happening here, it's, this is something really important because I, I've been noticing uh, in our nation especially, that there are more and more intentionally uh, multicultural churches that are forming, which I absolutely love. And we see this happening more and more in this day and age. But let us not be blind to this truth that this is not something new. The very first experience of being church was a multicultural phenomenon. It, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, is to, is to create a church that ignores the barriers that this world places between people. Here in this moment, we see that the message of the gospel belongs to all people, superseding ethnic and racial divisions, linguistic divisions, cultural divisions, so that all can hear the good news of salvation and experience the wonders of God. Even in our scripture, in Acts 2, we see that 15, I count 15 different people group there. 
These are countries that, just to get our minds around it, these are countries that span modern day Turkey, Egypt, Northern Africa, Iran, even Italy. So that covers nearly all of their known world. Or in Jesus' words, it's the ends of the earth. So uh, Christianity continues to be the most diverse religious movement in human history. Even though churches like ours don't reflect it, we are part of a diverse body. And so we just need to remember the gospel never belongs to one people group. There is no favored nation or chosen people. God has so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave his spirit so that anyone who could call upon the name of the Lord may be saved. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that birthed this church. And in Pentecost, now has taken on new meaning. Yes, it was a day of a harvest, and it was a day where people renewed their covenant. But now because of Pentecost, uh, the nations were the harvest. And the covenant that was renewed is now through the Holy Spirit, which has made its home within us. Did you notice in this passage, there's two primary descriptions, images at Pentecost of what the Holy Spirit is. Those two different symbols and images that the Holy Spirit uh, gives for the experience of people were fire and wind. Fire and wind. Interesting, right? Both are hard to control. Fire and wind can be incredibly powerful and constructive, and it can be incredibly destructive as well. Fire can warm a home and a fire can turn it into ashes. Wind can blow a sail, move a ship across the ocean, and wind can also ravage a city and destroy communities. And if anyone has been near a wildfire, you know that fire and wind make a powerful combination. If you were to study scripture, what you would find is that there's not just by chance or random that these are the images of the Holy Spirit because fire and wind are powerful images in the Old Testament and throughout the rest of the Bible for when God is uniquely present. Remember Moses encountering God in the, in the bush that burned but was not consumed. Remember the Hebrew people being led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire. That Remember the, the instructions for the temple that may the fire never be ex extinguished from the temple because God is always present there. And wind. Wind is all throughout the Old Testament. Even, even in the Hebrew language, breath, God's breath is synonymous with wind. And so we find throughout Scripture the presence of God within fire and wind. And now here on Pentecost, this unique presence is now in the disciples. And we see that this is more than just a tweak within the religious experience. This is an incredibly new, provocative experience that is radically changing our relationship with God because these disciples are now filled with the Spirit, consumed with the Spirit, moved by God's presence. And we see what God's ultimately doing with God's presence is He is transforming people. He's making them new. And these fi finally, these disciples are transformed. You might expect, at least I expected, to see these disciples transformed as they walked with Jesus for years. 
Nope, that doesn't seem to be the case. Or even maybe after seeing Jesus crucified on a cross, they would kind of get it. They would go understand, oh, this is what Jesus meant when he said that we must take up our crosses and follow him. The Son of Man must be, uh, must be put to death. I understand it now. But the disciples didn't experience transformation. They're the same people as they were before. Even after Easter, even after seeing the resurrected Jesus, these disciples were still confused. They didn't get it. But after Pentecost happened, after the Holy Spirit was given, they are transformed. The moment these disciples experienced God's presence at Pentecost, there was a deep transformation. And finally, they understood the message that Jesus had been speaking to them all along. They were given power. They established the church. Even look at Peter. Peter, the same one who just was was kind of blunt, but he never fully got it. The same Peter that denied knowing Jesus and fled. That same Peter now with a Holy Spirit-infused clarity and wisdom preaches this message at towards the end of Acts 2. Verse 41, this is what happens after. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up in power, is that transformation takes place. Now, if this is the case, the question that I've been wrestling with is this. If, if the Holy Spirit is the power of God to renew things, restore things, transform things, why in the world do we not talk about it more? Why is it much like that junk room in the home in which I grew up? That we know it's a part of the Christian faith, we know it's part of the Trinity, but we don't know exactly what to do with it. It's not a part of our, of our life, our spiritual life. We, it's almost like a family member you know is a part of your extended family, but no one really talks about. That's what almost like the Holy Spirit feels like to, to me. And I've been wondering, why is that the case? Now, I have some speculations. Maybe it's because for some of us, we grew up talking about the Holy Spirit with the name the Holy Ghost. And it's a bit spooky and we don't know what to do with it. But I think it goes deeper than that. I think we regulate the, the Holy Spirit. We push it aside. Because we know that if we began to fully believe, trust, and walk in the Spirit, our lives would change. <laughs> Things would not be the same. Because what we see with the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit shows up, things get out of our control. I mean, just imagine this Pentecost moment, just like this story. The Holy Spirit, when it came, it came with a loud sound, in Luke's word, a violent sound. And wind was spinning through this room while fire was descending. But it wasn't just fire. It was fire that looked like a tongue that was falling upon the disciples. How would you feel if you saw this in the middle of a wind, wind tunnel, of a tongue of fire falling on you? I doubt that many of us would be excited to receive this moment. Instead, I think that we would see this moment as extraordinary, powerful, uh, but somewhat bizarre. We knew that if we received this moment... We would no longer have control. We might neglect the Holy Spirit for this very reason. Because we know that God's Spirit might pay little attention to our expectations, our boundaries, and our comforts. The Spirit blows where it wishes. And like wind and fire, it refines, it consumes, and it sometimes seems unpredictable. Now personally, I grew up in a tradition 
a wonderful church tradition that specialized in the Bible, which I'm grateful for. But by and large, we ignored the Holy Spirit. Why? Maybe it's because when we study scripture, we can systematize how we read it. We can choose when to pick it up and to put it down. We can even choose the interpretation that matches our preferences, but we're not afforded the same thing with the Holy Spirit. As we see in the book of Acts, God's Spirit does what God's Spirit wants to do. And sometimes that contradicts our expectations of who God is and what God wants to do in the world. Sometimes it even contradicts our understanding of what the Bible has said. This is what we find in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit sends people where people don't want to go. It blesses people who we think should not be blessed. The Holy Spirit blows where it wants to. It moves in the ways it wants to. For me, I, I, when I think about the Holy Spirit, it's almost like Holy Spirit is like going to an improv comedy night. If anyone's done that, you know you go there and it's, it's a bit uneasy the whole time because you're not sure where things are going and at any moment you could be called up on stage. So instead, we sit it out. We, we regulate the Holy Spirit. We confine it. We prefer just to study our Bible with the people whom we want to and we miss out on the power and the experience of God's presence. What I think I've already experienced this in talking to some of you. When we read the book of Acts, it creates a dilemma for us. And the dilemma is this. How can I reconcile what I see in Scripture with what the Holy Spirit does in Acts and how I experience it in my life? There's this dissonance. There's this gap that happens between what I'm seeing the Holy Spirit do in Scripture and what I am experiencing in my own life. And may that gap awaken us to hunger for more of God's presence. In my early 20s, I started attending a charismatic church, and I, and I honestly I chose that church in part because I wanted to explore a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It felt curious to me. It felt almost a little adventurous, uh, and it, I knew it was going to challenge me. And so I, I, I jumped in that community, and my experience with that church culminated on a mission trip to Mexico. Now, before going on this mission trip, I made a deal with God. I know you do sometimes too. I made a deal with God that God, I'm going to go on this trip and I, I'm, I'm going to try to remain open. I want, I want to, but I want to experience you. I want to see you in a different light. And so went on this mission trip. Uh, things were going well. But then someone pulled me aside and said, Mark, I had a vision that God was going to use you to heal someone on this trip. And as a spiritual person, I said, okay. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that. Later on, one night we were in this plaza, this public space, and um, we were there to pray for people and evangelize. And uh, so in this plaza, this older man was walking by with a cane. Someone pulled me aside and said, Mark, that's the person whom you're supposed to heal. So I went over and began praying for this elderly man. And um, praying for him after a while, other, other people were surrounding him as well. We began praying and more people that showed up, more fervent our prayers became until after a couple minutes, I kind of opened up my eyes and I saw this elderly man who was just walking home this one evening and his face looked like he was frightened. And all of a sudden I realized what, older, what an experience this would have been for an older man just trying to be going home to be surrounded by 18 college-age students who are screaming a prayer in a language that he doesn't understand. Uh, and so we kind of let him go in our broken Spanish said, God bless you. And uh, 
remember thinking to myself, well, what was that about? To make matters worse, later on that night, I was pulled aside <clears throat> by one of the leaders and I was rebuked. I was rebuked for praying out of my own strength. So I was embarrassed and a bit angry. Now, I've shared that story before, but what I haven't shared is what happened next. The rest of this trip was painful. It was painful because I had questions swirling around in my mind. And on the bus ride home, these questions were, the volume was, was beginning to be turned up a little bit. The questions were, why did that experience happen? Is my faith too weak to experience that? Did, do I even have the Holy Spirit in me? Do I even know God? Like I was spinning out of control. And it was there on this bus, a friend of mine saw me and came to sit down next to me and ask what was going on. And I, you know, I just opened up this mixed bucket of thoughts and, and emotions and questions. But then he opened up his backpack, reached in there, pulled out his Bible, and he read a passage from 1 Corinthians to me. He said, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And then my friend put down the Bible and he looked me in the eyes and he said, Mark, I don't know exactly what happened back there, but this is what I know. You love with Jesus's kind of love. That's all the evidence I need. And I think for God, that's what matters most. And he got up and he left and I sat there and I cried. You see, when I look back and I reflect on that moment, the fact that my friend was attuned and was aware that something might be off with me, to get up, to sit down next to me, to ask me questions that opened me up, to sit there and listen with compassion, and then know that for Mark, it's good for him to hear scripture, for him to open up the Bible and to read not only any passage, but that passage, and then to look me in the eyes and bless me with words that was like a healing balm in my soul. That is much a charismatic, spirit-filled moment as anything else, as a healing, as, as, as a miracle would be, because this was an expression of God's love that came to me. Like in my native tongue, it came and spoke to me in ways that others couldn't. And don't get me wrong, I do believe that the Holy Spirit is powerful. I believe in the miraculous, that the Holy Spirit moves in such ways that don't make sense. But I also know that the end result for all the Holy Spirit's presence of our life is that we are transformed to be radical love in this world. The kind of love that points to who Jesus is. The kind of love in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul says, the true love that never fails. We are empowered to be that kind of love, a never failing love that only can come from God. It is so clear to me as I read the book of Acts, so clear to me that there's absolutely no way we can fulfill our role as God's transformed people of love in this world without the Holy Spirit. It's just impossible. We can't do it on our own. And we're not called to. We are called to abide with the Holy Spirit, to rely upon the Holy Spirit, to, to mindfully, consciously depend on the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we need to start expanding our scope. 
when we think about a life with God, we think probably of Christmas, of the cross and Easter, but we as a church need to gather on Pentecost. We need to wait for the Holy Spirit to move in power in our life. We need to expand our view of our life with God beyond God the Father and Jesus our Savior. But we need to begin to explore a relationship with the Holy Spirit who is here with us now because this, the Spirit wants to empower us. This is what we see in Scripture, what the Spirit wants to do in our life, that as we are, have been given the Spirit, for everyone who is in Christ, we are empowered by God's presence. It leads us to truth and wisdom. You don't have to travel to a temple or wait for a sacred day to experience God's holy presence. It's with you wherever you are at all times. God did not leave us when Jesus ascended into heaven, and we don't have to wait for, for Jesus to come back for us to experience him again. We have the Holy Spirit with us now. The Holy Spirit even says in Scripture, it prays with you. When you run out of words, it's going to pray for you. When you don't know what to say, the Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit promises to sustain us. So my question for us today is do we want this? Do we want this? Like, what's our hunger level to know and to walk with the Spirit of Christ in our life? Like, do you want that fire? Do you want that wind to disrupt and move you? What I've figured out is we cannot force God's hand in this. But one thing we can do, we can create the kindling in our heart. We can open up the sail of our soul so that when the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit will come, we will be ready.